0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Pacific Century, the Hoover Institution's podcast on America, China, the Indo-Pacific, and the 21st century. I'm John Yu. I'm a visiting fellow at the Hoover Institution and a law professor at UC Berkeley. And I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Misha Oslin. Misha, take it away. We're here to talk about a recent article of yours in Foreign Policy magazine, amongst many other things.
1: Well, hello, John. Yeah, we we hope this isn't a bait and switch. People were tuning in, expecting another awesome guest like so many that we've had. And, and today, it's it's just you and me, John. It's quiet time for us. We're just going to catch up a little bit. We'll talk about a few different things. But uh, yeah, I thought maybe we'd, we'd talk a little bit uh, about an article I had this week in um, uh, the foreign policy, because it's um, we're, we're in a weird moment. Uh, we've been in a weird moment uh, over the past year plus uh, with the COVID pandemic that began in Wuhan, China uh, and and the U.S. And um, it's become sort of mainstreamed now that you can blame the U.S. for causing problems with China. Uh, and I think this actually goes back. Uh, it goes back to the Trump presidency. It goes back to, I think, a lot of things that were domestically oriented around Trump, but it, it morphed itself into this idea that um, ever since Trump became president, uh, the U.S. and China are on a collision course, um, and it's our fault. And, and so it, it goes from what some of our colleagues like Neil Ferguson and others have called Cold War II to a very different and sort of, I would say, almost the concerning, but, but almost even malevolent approach to say that, no, it's all our fault. And you've seen that uh, in different uh, public letters that have been released um, by uh, you know, academics and, and former policymakers. Um, you've seen it in, in different articles. You've seen the take that the U.S. is provocative. The U.S. is pushing China into a corner. The U.S.
0: is blaming China for all these
1: different things.
0: And uh, doesn't it remind you just uh, briefly about the way people approached Russia during the Cold War? Right? There were people... Um, even in the late 50s, but definitely revved up in the 60s, who said the Cold War was America's fault, right? that, that we had uh, provoked the Russians, I mean, the Soviets, into hardline policies, that there, there was this period, brief period of possibility after World War II, and that we kept, and uh, that the Soviets were on the defensive, and it was we who were the aggressors. And isn't it the same, is it the same people? Is it the same lines of thought, would you say, that are you know, sort of reappearing now that China is our main rival? Well, first of all, that's a great point
1: uh, and as a historian i'm ashamed i didn't think of it it's a fantastic point oh
0: i thought as a historian uh, that's always working in the background of your mind you just it would be it would be demeaning to mention it for us commoners that, it, uh... it, it, it should be you know in fact it's so you're right it's so it's so obvious I didn't even think of it but no but I think you're
1: exactly right now when you say it's is it the same voices um it it's not in terms of the literal individuals because those who were saying this back in the Cold War have have gone on to that great Communist paradise in the sky. Um, But it is the same class, right? It's the same set of individuals. And you're absolutely right. You know, that that whole idea that, oh, Stalin was was not interested in expansion, you know, he just, uh, it was either Uh, you know, worry about the United States that forced him to take over Eastern Europe, or that was sort of the natural Russian, you know, cordon sanitaire that it wanted, but nothing else. You know, Stalin was never going to do anything else. So if we hadn't had a Truman Doctrine, if we hadn't built NATO, if we hadn't created a national security state here, then the, the Soviets wouldn't have
0: done anything. And so you're right. And the same with Mao, same with Mao too, right? Weren't people saying the same thing about China, that Korean War was defensive? uh, they, uh, both, uh, Russia and China's involvement in the Vietnam war was defensive. It was. Yeah. Us who are. Yeah. yeah I mean, so it's interesting. There is a, uh, and I, I, I want to say this
1: clinically, if I can put it this way, there's certainly a predisposition. Some might call it a pathology on the part of intellectuals to blame their own societies, uh, for these things. And we're seeing it once again, uh, with what 's happened not only over the past year but the past the past four years um, and it, it, what it does is i think first of all it misreads history and it, it misreads not only the history of what china has been doing in the 40 years since we normalized relations, which is taking uh, full advantage. Uh, let's put it this way. It's been taking full advantage in ways that we've wanted of it to engage economically with the world and engage politically and culturally with the world. But then it's been taking advantage in ways we, we certainly didn't want and many did not expect, uh, you know, stealing intellectual property rights, dumping, um, dumping cheap goods, um, obviously trying to suborn international institutions like the World Health Organization or or even uh, the UN when it waters down UN resolutions or undercuts them against North Korea, things like that. So it misreads history. uh, But then it also misreads the history, I think, of what's happened since 2016, which is, uh, in essence, the great awakening uh, of America to what the challenges and the threats uh, of China are, uh, and particularly when we're talking about China again, we're talking about the the Communist Party, we're talking about Beijing and the government, um, and it says no. Instead, it's it's all us. We're the ones that have pushed them into this. So. That's the that's the basic starting point. So the question I had was then, okay, fine, if we if that were the case, if it was our fault and and we were the aggressors and we were to blame, then what you would expect to see around the world is a whole bunch of countries not only distancing themselves from the United States, but actively opposing this policy and criticizing it and also doing what they could to maintain good relations with China. And the fact is, is that we're seeing just the opposite. And this is really the the starting point of the piece, which is that when you look at a, at a good number of the leading countries, most of which are liberal in, in the world, all of them have problems with China. All of them are challenging China in different ways. It has nothing to do with the United States. It's not about us it's about China. So we saw last week, the British uh, just launched their uh, new aircraft carrier, the Queen Elizabeth, and they've they've now deployed it. It will be making its way over to Asia. And they stated explicitly, we're doing this because we're worried about upholding international order and norms in East Asia, uh, freedom of navigation, maritime law, uh, and and the like. Uh, India is having uh, problems with China. Has been having problems on its borders. There have been border clashes between India and China. India has been opposing the One Belt and One Road. It's been calling for China to be held accountable for the, uh, the the COVID pandemic that began in Wuhan. Australia is on the front lines of an economic war with China. It's been punished by China for also calling for independent investigations, for kicking Chinese money out of its domestic political system, for blocking Huawei and ZTE from its 5G networks. Um, You see Japan and the Philippines both dealing with repeated Chinese incursions into their territorial waters. The point is, is that instead of the entire world saying, whoa, you cowboys in Washington, whether it's Cowboy Trump or Cowboy Biden, are forcing a new Cold War confrontation with China, the rest of much of the developed world and the leading nations in the world all have their own problems with China. It has nothing to do with us.
0: I think when I was reading your piece that there is no major country in Asia that has actually got good things to say about China. But North Korea is Yeah. When I said major, <laughs> so yeah. major, major agent country. <laughs> Don't insult the great leader, the dear leader. We're going to, we're going to find ourselves hacked again. <laughs> again. Um, but the my point is this is that it's uh China has no allies really. It's buy it buys and pays for uh things from weaker countries around it, but it doesn't really have uh allies because uh right, everyone sees what it's up to. And the second thing is, and this uh, this reminds me in a strange way of about um theories about why Americans like alliances so much. So you may remember like even the United States has um waged a variety of wars over the years. Uh, you see public opinion is much higher in support of a war if we go in with allies, even if the allies contribute very little, you know, like it reminds me of the Persian Gulf war in 91, when, uh, The French went in with us, and I think General Schwarzkopf put them on the farthest, farthest left wing of the invasion force, so far out west in the desert that they actually faced no opposing Iraqi forces at all. They were playing outfield, right? Left (laughs) field, right? The worst player you put them out in the left field, like as far as you can. I remember, actually, the French media were very upset about this at the press conferences. (laughs) Um, But the the one theory about this is because um, sometimes if you're a country – and you're a democracy, you know, I'm really messy. You might not trust your leaders or you might not even trust your own perception of what's going on. And I think this is how I put your point uh, in the articles. But if you see everybody else views it the same way, you know, looks at exactly what China is doing, measures the same cost of benefits, they all come to the same conclusion as you, then it's not you know, some crazy leader of your own country, or it's not, you know, partisanship that's going on or crazy people taking over. It is a lot of other people see the same thing too. I mean, it's an interesting point.
1: It certainly is, uh, it's part self-interest to get allies together, but yeah, there is a moral, uh, part of it that, that, you know, when you are expressing this joint activity in, in, uh, in a shared, uh, endeavor, you know, I think, you know without that in the Cold War it, it, it would have been hard to maintain alliance uh, cohesion it would have been hard to actually you know have allies in part because of the opportunism uh, and that's what we see with China of course opportunism of picking off allies when it can driving wedges between uh, the United States and and partners and, and of course smaller nations you know it buys outright buys uh, off the uh, countries that diplomatically recognize Taiwan and it isolates Taiwan but it you know it tries to do that uh, against the United States States as well. And and so I think the point is, is that, look, it's time to stop blaming us and ourselves. For 50 years, we've done everything we could to integrate China into the global system, economically, politically, socially, culturally. Um, We've bent over backwards. And not only that, we've not only bent over backwards, we've turned the other cheek for decades at its Depredations at its malevolent actions, uh, whether it's again, you know, um, intellectual property theft, shipping opioids into the United States, um, you know, uh, pressuring and 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 threatening allies, taking over territory and such. We have ignored almost all of it in the sense of actually trying to impose any costs. Uh, And again, if it were all only about us, then you'd see the rest of the world looking at us like you guys. You guys have the problem, but instead for their own reasons, their own purposes, they've decided they're threatened by China, right? It, it China's threatening their territory. It's threatening their, uh, their, their political space. It's threatening their economies. Uh, and, and so they're responding, uh, based on their own interests. And I think that that's much healthier. So you mentioned it, it's helpful in a democracy to have allies. It's also helpful if everyone is actually acting, out of their own self-interest but you're coming to a collective a, a collective approach meaning we're not you can't twist the arm of a country to oppose china that's not going to work um and, and it goes a little bit to this other argument that we keep hearing which is don't force nations to choose i mean we've heard that for a decade now right no, no one wants to be forced to choose between china and the united states uh the truth is, it's it, it's China that's making nations choose. Last week, or maybe this week, because it's Thursday, uh, there was a report out that the Chinese had threatened Bangladesh and said that if you join any quad initiative, right, the the quad security uh, dialogue between U.S., Japan, India, and Australia, uh, which is starting things like vaccine diplomacy, they're talking about other things. The Chinese said, if you, the Bangladeshis, join any quad initiative at all, it will damage relations. So they're making Right, They're making the other countries choose between us and them. We've been very bad at that. The only one where we've really tried it has been on 5G because of the technological and economic implications.
0: So, tsar do you think, would you give our diplomats a failing grade because uh, this state of affairs has been going on for a few years now and you know, it's just getting worse and worse and you have all these allies and friendly countries who all share the same worry about China, uh, is uh, have we done a bad job in the United States of not creating an alliance system like the one we built in Europe after World War II? Uh, you know, NATO doesn't come into existence right away, right? I think it comes into existence in 1949 or four 49. years after the end of World yeah. War II. But, uh, you know, are we missing, is this a great missed opportunity uh, for both Trump and for Obama, Trump, and Biden, not to establish a more secure, stable alliance system, you know, instead we have these kind of one-on-one alliances with the various countries out there, but we don't really have the kind of strong, you know, multilateral treaty organization that we did in Western Europe, and, and so this would—it seems to me—the more pressure all those countries are under, right, the more likely they would be to join such a thing, and then they would, you know, that would that would play your role of your point of contributing. To the material costs of defense and coordinating, so that if actually something ever did happen, our forces would be interoperable and our politicians work together. Maybe we create even an economic system that exc- starts to exclude China over time. But we're, we don't seem to be doing any of that. I certainly don't think Biden administration is doing any of that, and the Trump administration certainly wasn't doing it.
1: Yeah, it's a it's an interesting question. Certainly, something that people have talked about. Um, it 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 was not the time for it, I think, up until uh, maybe, you know, this 2016 era, uh, in, in part because other nations themselves... Look, I mean, on the one hand, we've had allies warning us for a long time about what China's doing, the way that it's growing, the the extent of its influence. But on the other hand, again, they they were not ready to challenge it. And in part, it's because the the Communist Party, the government of China was so brilliantly successful at integrating its economy with all of these other economies in a way that the Soviets never even dreamed about doing, that they froze the decision-making process in many of these countries even before it began, which is to say people, uh, the policymakers did not even want to contemplate the economic pain that they might go through if they began challenging China, because they had never stopped to think, well, what happens if we become so dependent on China? And so they got to that level of dependency, and then that froze them strategically and politically and that 's a brilliant absolutely brilliant strategy on the part of the chinese um, so I think a lot of countries were not were not ready uh, I think that's begun you know in part it 's begun to change i don 't think you can ever you know exclude China fully uh, or even you know largely from any economic arrangements, but what you can do is lots of different kinds of things to strengthen the the um, uh, cooperation among democracies. That was the whole point of Trans-Pacific Partnership. And I- That's one thing I I was going
0: to ask was what are we, should Biden, Biden hasn't said anything, I don't think, about trying to rejoin, but wouldn't it make a lot of sense for us to rejoin the TTP the TPP, T- yeah, which is TPP, now sorry, which TPP. is now the
1: CPTPP, the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership that Japan picked up the baton on and pushed it through when we dropped out. Um, it, it would. Uh, it's uh, interestingly when the new grouping, which is of eleven countries, uh, came together, they dropped uh, a number of provisions that were really U.S driven in the original TPP negotiations, things over, you know, intellectual property rights and trademarks and things like that. Um, they didn't, they didn't eliminate all of them, but they, they, they were less stringent. But what they didn't do is they didn't repeal them. They simply, uh, they simply sort of froze them. They, they, um, uh, they, they kept them on ice, and which means they could bring them back in order to entice the U.S. into it, because they've uh, enticed the U.S. to coming back in, because they already passed them originally. Um, don't forget, though, it, what's interesting is that it was really the Democrats that were against, uh, you know, these big trade agreements. Um, So, for example, uh, NAFTA, you know, Clinton pushed that through with Republican support and the Korea-US trade agreement. Nancy Pelosi held that up in Congress for years. So Biden hasn't taken it on because I don't think his party would support him. And now, you know, a more Trump Republican party might also not support it. So it was a real mistake, I think, for us to get out because of the the strategic implications as well as some of the economic, uh, benefits that, that we would get. But the point is, is, you know, to your earlier question about should we have been, been building all this? I don't think it's a failure of, you know, uh, of, of diplomats as, as much as it, it was a, it was a general American failure to take China seriously and the challenge seriously. Certainly you have to blame policymakers because diplomats simply, you know, follow what the policymakers instruct them to do. Um, it may have been a, you know, it may have been a failing on the part of some uh, diplomats who chose, you know, or who who uh, pushed for process over substance, uh, but, and it certainly was a failure on the part of the American business community uh, that was happy to accept the costs of doing business with China and offshore jobs and be able to invest, but, you know, not really be concerned at all what was happening back home. And if you're China, I mean, it's like every single domino fell your way. Um, it, it's just, it's stunning that we like literally no setbacks whatsoever to China's growth and integration uh, and the like. Now, 45 years on or so, um, the costs have become very apparent, not only to us, but to others. And so that's, that's what the question that faces the Biden administration uh, is uh, I think you see a little bit of an answer in the quad, which is an a, an attempt to talk not only from a security perspective but from other perspectives, including the values perspective and sort of you know more targeted cooperation like vaccine diplomacy in ways that offer alternatives to china um, We have something it's it 's limited that we should consider doing more with or at least certainly thinking more about it called the blue dot network it 's it 's uh, an investment um, and cooperation uh, initiative that's designed to offer an alternative to the one belt, one road. Um, We have to do a lot better in offering infrastructure. That's one of the great ways that China has extended its influence all around Asia, uh, which is offering infrastructure, which we don't really do. You know, we're happy to train police forces and you know train politicians what we don't do is build the roads and bridges and dams and electrical systems that and the ports that's what the chinese have paid for all over the world but in you know asia and eurasia uh and um Uh, So, of course, countries have gone with them because there's been no, the only alternative has been the Japanese and the Japanese actually invest an enormous amount in that. But the Chinese were willing to just flood the zone with cash and with no strings attached and work with the worst governments on earth. So, you know, are we hamstrung by morals? Are we hamstrung by self-interest? The answer is, uh, all of it, uh, but, the, but the geopolitical result is that we've lost an enormous amount of ground to China. And for some reason, we blame ourselves for trying to correct the situation. What we should be doing is looking at why the rest of the world's having problems with China and saying, okay, it's not us, it's China, it's the Communist Party, and it's Beijing. What are we going to do about it?
0: I think maybe we might be approaching a, a shift, though, uh, because of the coronavirus. Maybe that's uh, something that's going to puncture China's uh, efforts because I, yeah, and we're still in the middle. Of course, we don't know what the ultimate political effects will be of the virus, but it seems to me there's uh, more and more reports coming out now questioning China's account of what happened with the virus. You know, there's this, uh, Article in the bulletin, the atomic scientists, right, which is no warmongering, you know, anti China organization. In fact, if there were a group that was more along the lines as, as we started out with during the Cold War, saying we should be more understanding of the Soviets, we should try to step back from the brink. It would, it was these guys. The Maybe bowl. we
1: need a China doomsday clock. <laughs>
0: exactly. That's a, you know, that's a really good one. Yeah. You should you should create it. It's like
1: it's like four minutes to
0: midnight until China the, taking over the I, world. I wouldn't buy one of those cheap Chinese clocks to, to <laughs> that's do. what they would want, because it would yeah. just stick on four minutes forever. <laughs> yeah. So the, you know, the, in this article, amongst others, I mean this is one of others, several I've seen, which say, you know, China's pushing this idea that the coronavirus naturally emerged uh, basically from bats Uh, and that uh, just so happened to emerge in Wuhan. Uh, And then there's the uh, other account, Uh, right? The other account is either, you know, the the more sinister account is that there was research going on at this Wuhan Institute, which, you know, is there to study viruses um, that was trying to, Create a kind of virus that would be extremely contagious to human beings, and so they were using the bat uh, virus to design such, uh, you know, a, a, such a you know, some man-made uh, vector, and that uh, in the you know the nefarious explanation is well, uh, I mean, I don't I don't believe people say oh this was actually deliberately released, but I could see. In China, this was a subject of research because they were worried about SARS and they wanted to study it and they create a virus like this in order to com- create ways to combat it and that there was an accident and, or some kind. and was, You could believe that too. But it seems to me whichever explanation is uh, going to ultimately, and we may never know, but whichever explanation holds, I think it's pretty clear now looking back and we, you and I talked about on the podcast, this podcast many times as China was delinquent in trying to stop the spread of the virus and letting the rest of the world know about it. And I wonder whether you think that's going to have an effect, you know, in the minds of the people in Asia of the governments, right? They're going to say, are we going to partner with a country that did nothing to stop, right? They've concealed the concealed, the nature of this virus, let it spread to the rest of the world, even while they were taking measures themselves to stop its spread within China is that the kind of thing, you know, kind of public event and government negligence that could turn things on our fa- Where, Whereas the United States, you know, we have suffered a lot, but now we are the ones who are, uh, right, trying to uh, get more of the vaccine out to more of the world. Whereas the Chinese are giving out this, <laughs> right, this virus, uh, this um, immunization drug, which seems to be just a 50-50 chance whether you get the coronavirus or, or not. It's just sort of like you take the Chinese vaccine, and you flip a coin to see whether you get the coronavirus. So do you think that could have, is that the kind of thing that could affect hearts and minds in Asia and allow people to uh, sort of return to the United States, maybe as a leader of this or liberal order that we're in favor of? Well,
1: you know, I'd like to think so. I would say that in general, I think that that horse has left the barn. Um, I thought if it was going to happen, it would happen last year. It would happen when the world suddenly realized what was going on uh, and that the evidence was overwhelming, of course, of the cover up of the fact that the party knew about this much earlier, that it could have warned the world weeks earlier uh, and and, and more importantly, warned the world that it was transmitted between humans. If you remember the first um, the first reports, China assured the WHO that there was no human to human trans transmissal uh, transmissal and so uh the the world said okay so we you know we don't have to worry about it as much and instead you had you know hundreds of thousands of chinese continuing to fly around the world hundreds of thousands of of foreigners going in and out of china i mean it was it was the perfect storm of of um of of a disaster of uh of ignorance of uh, malevolence on the part of the of the, the communist party and um of uh You know, inability to really understand what was going on. Uh, You know, I certainly would have thought that that would have already done it. And in fact, the Chinese, in order to forestall it, launched an incredibly aggressive and successful in many ways, um, uh, you know, public Policy campaign, a PR campaign around the world, uh, which was uh, you know combined with wolf warrior diplomacy and combined with with giving away lots of shoddy you know medical materials to weaker nations and uh, and I think they've they've largely escaped it. I also think it was stunning to me, and I hope it was stunning to a lot of other people that we really didn't seem to care that much what happened to it. Any voices that said, "Well, wow, you know, let's look carefully." So you're telling me that a virus that we've never seen before. Happens to emerge just two miles from China's only level four bioengineering research lab on viruses,
0: and 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 we're supposed to believe it was an accident. And hundreds and hundreds of miles away from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away from the bat caves. We're hundreds of miles away from the bat caves. Yeah, yeah. Um, love the, the bat the caves, caves by the way. You, you know, <laughs> but. um,
1: Right. You know, it's just I mean, at some point it was just you just felt insulted that it, it's just common sense. I mean, my God, if you had a, a an extraordinary leak of radiation near a nuclear plant and you discovered it two miles away in a little greengrocer's you know, uh, shop, would you say, well, it had nothing to do with the nuclear plant? I mean, it's, it was a virological institute. What are the odds that it had nothing to do with the virological institute? Which, by the way, people did go back and look and find out that they were researching exactly these types of uh, viruses, and they had been for a long time. Uh, and of course, there were questions about who was no longer working there, who had disappeared about reports earlier. Um, but we didn't seem to care. The world or or those who decide what the world cares about didn't seem to care about it enough and so voices like Tom Cotton uh you know who, who early on said this was uh, something that escaped from the lab not that the chinese released it intentionally but that there was some sort of mistake somebody got infected it got out somehow which happens we know this stuff happens um he was shouted down as a crazy conspiracist uh you know warmonger because people already disliked him as opposed to saying wait a second What he's saying makes eminent sense. And then you had other voices who also said the same things, being silenced. And now, finally, a year later, you finally have the WHO themselves coming out saying, well, the the official Chinese explanation doesn't make that much sense. You have these reports, like you said, in the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, uh, others coming out and and looking more carefully at how likely is it that this was a purely natural mutation that leapt from a wet market where, by the way, they disproved that there was actually any transmission to humans. as opposed to here's the flashing red light right next to a virological institute that was
0: partly funded by the United States to do this very research. Yeah. This is where the, you know, the lawyer part of my brain comes into uh, play uh, because we're, you know, in in the law, we spend a lot of time thinking about accidents and, and, and who's responsible. You know, we have various degrees of responsibility for accidents, you know, been developed by the common law for hundreds of years. And, uh, in a way, so to me, in part, in a way, it's not that important exactly how the virus was created and escaped, because I think everyone can agree it's China's responsibility for any nation where such an outbreak occurs to try to warn the world, to try so that you can take precautionary measures to Right. to stop to share it from all the information which yeah, they share didn't all do. The they do they destroyed right. the samples yeah they destroyed, they won't let uh you know independent scientists come and actually inspect inside without you know the chinese following them around and and so so the uh you know, that happens all the time in uh private life and in normal market economy and so the theory is in this is a branch called tort laws that you you place responsibility on them. You make them bear all the costs of their conduct, what we call internalization of costs. So, in a sense, here's what happened. This is just like pollution. If you think about like if you have pollution, that's when a factory right, makes a certain product. And then by polluting on other people, they quote unquote externalize the cost because they don't have to pay for the cost of the pollution. And so they're just going to overproduce, right? They're going to make more, they're going to do more of it when they shouldn't be. So in the legal system, we try to force people to what we call internalize the costs of their benefits, of their activities, so that they will stop doing it when it inflicts too much harm. And this is a classic case of China doing this again. You you, you talk to anyone in Korea, Japan, they complain all the time about Chinese pollution. China is a great externalizer of its harmful activities on the rest of the world, which they don't pay for. So the solution would be economic in nature at a minimum, which would be to force China to pay for all the harm it's caused, because that will deter it from doing this ever again. And I I wonder whether countries will, you know, have the backbone to try to do this if we ever get an answer about how the virus started.
1: I, I don't know, but I, I have to say this, that was like sitting in your law class, a tutorial. Uh, you, you know, will,
0: they actually don't let me teach this subject. It's too boring. I find it boring. You, <laughs> will,
1: you, you will go into this podcast with a skull full of mush and you will leave thinking like a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's if about you, how and now I if you know that episode. reference, <laughs> If you know that reference, then you're of our age. Is that, yeah, Paper Chase? Yeah, it is the Paper Chase. <laughs> that is a great that is, the pa- that is the opening, the great John Hausman as Kingsfield, yeah. who I know taught you at Harvard Law.
0: <laughs> well, I didn't go to Harvard Law and I didn't have John Hausman. I wish I did. But I, I, I seek to recreate that environment in my own classrooms. <laughs> well, the fear. He's my certainly. model of a teacher far the better fear. than any real teacher I ever had. <laughs> I thought
1: you went to Harvard Law.
0: Uh-uh. Did you go to Yale Law? Mm-hmm. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think about these internalization external. They, t- they don't teach that stuff at Harvard. Harvard. They just worry about memorizing case names. <laughs> I, I I was across the
1: street from Yale law for seven years in the history department and never once stepped foot in the building or the quad. Well, I
0: would have been immediately arrested. As well, I know that's
1: why I didn't, that's why I didn't go. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, I think, um, I, I think that's, that's a, you know it, it, it's a good overview of, of where we stand with this sort of odd, um, unwillingness to, uh, to quite frankly, to face facts. Uh, you know, again, if, if there was anything in the entire last century that would, that you would have thought would have caused the world to drop all of its, um, you know uh false and and sort of self-deceiving notions about china about the communist party about the ability to to trust it or work with it um point you know we didn't talk about is if you if it hasn't changed behavior today then you're not going to be able to prevent this in the future um uh also in general you know this whole point about blaming us it's all our fault for tensions with china and it's not it's not our fault for tensions with china um I'm not saying we're, we're, we've been Lily perfect, but um, it's not it's not our fault. And, and the proof of that is that all these other nations around the world have problems with China. There's a reason the French just did a joint maritime exercise in the Pacific with the Quad nations. There's a reason the British are sending their aircraft carrier there. Um, there's a reason that uh, you know the Australians are fighting their battles, as are the Japanese. Um, and i think at least you know the the the, the path to to uh, beginning to solve it right is having the wisdom to understand the reality of of what's going on and and so i think it's worthwhile you know to remind ourselves of that we revisited this and you know revisited the the wuhan uh you know the wuhan outbreak and what's been going on there and now the scientific attempts to maybe get us a little bit closer to the truth And so I just hope that, you know, we, we, um, we accept reality a little bit more. Um, and instead of trying to knock ourselves down all the time, maybe, you know, ask the Chinese to look in the mirror, which they won't do. Uh, but at least that would
0: take some of the pressure off us in order to come up with a better policy. As maybe we can close here as in many ways with a allusion to that great repository of human wisdom, the Seinfeld show. Uh Oh, so in Seinfeld you may remember that uh, whenever George or Jerry want to break up with someone, they always say, it's not you, it's me. But then there's bizarro world where everybody is the reverse right. of Jerry, George, and Kramer and Elaine. And there we are recommending the bizarro world approach, which is, it's not me. It really was you all the time. Exactly. <laughs> exactly and right. that's, that's what, that's what exactly. Misha is recommending here. It's It's not me, it's you.
1: Exactly right. And if we can get to that font of wisdom, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be in a better place. But, uh, uh, well, I'm glad we could talk about it. I, I think I thought it was worth bringing up. I think, you know, it, it really yes. is worth us taking a look at the reality of what's going on out there and recognizing that maybe maybe we've been on to something right. And other nations have either been warning us to, to get more serious or now they're joining us in that. So we'll
0: we'll see where it goes. Great. Great. Well, thanks a lot, Misha, for uh, raising the issue. And I'm glad we had a chance for us to talk without those pesky, pesky guests uh, for once. And I like can't to... keep them away. Got to beat them <laughs> off with a stick. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to thank everybody for joining us and we'll see you next time on uh next episode of the Pacific Century. Bye-bye. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work, or to listen to more of our podcasts, or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org. You're giving me the it's not you, it's me routine? (laughs) I invented it's not you, it's me. Nobody tells me it's them, not me. If it's anybody, it's me. All right.